Father, thank you for bringing us here once again this morning together. Thank you for this uh, class that we've been able to consider the many ways that you would have us to, uh, to bring your word to bear upon our decisions and the things we choose to do. Uh, we thank you that you've given us the ability to make decisions that glorify your name and that please you and that honor you and that obey you. And we pray for uh, growing wisdom even through the class this morning about how we might make sure that we put those things into practice as we do decide on things that uh, sometimes we may not remember are moral issues and yet, uh, yet they are in many ways. We pray that you'd give us uh, wisdom in our discussion, pray that you'd help us to think carefully about situations that are pertinent to our lives, but we pray that uh, in all that we do we would not seek to simply improve our own lives or uh, bring about better circumstances for ourselves, but instead that what we would do is to seek that we might glorify and honor you in everything and every choice that we make. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So again, handouts you should have from the back. Uh, this is what we call class six. I know this is not technically class six, but it's section six of the course. So we'll just leave it at that and go from there. Uh, it's entitled Practical Pictures of Decision Making. And what I want to do is just to take a few examples of things that are common decisions in the Christian life uh, that we have not really talked about in direct, uh, well, just talked about directly. Uh, the last couple of weeks we talked about things to do with the conscience and conscience matters, how to sort some of those things out and think through matters that affect the conscience. But this week is really more just about uh, applying wisdom in making decisions, uh, making sure that we're bringing to bear biblical principles on decisions and then applying wisdom to those situations. So what I want to do is just walk through using what we've learned already in the class I uh, just walked through a number of scenarios that we commonly come across in our Christian life, plus anything else that you might want to throw out there. I just wanted to, um, to come together and have a little bit of a, how does this all apply and how to, where does the rubber meet the road in all of these things? Uh, and hopefully this will help. So there are a few that I have on here. These are some common things that we'll see as we go through these common decisions in the Christian life. But uh, I want you also to be thinking if you have any others that you might uh, ask those questions, that you might bring those out as examples, and then we can talk through what some considerations are for how we might apply the decision-making process, the biblical decision-making process, to those particular questions and those decisions that you have to make. Uh, I want to begin with some key factors from previous lessons. This is really summarizing what uh, we learned about in class three or lesson three, which is essentially three parts. Um, gather the facts. Gather the facts, meaning that you actually have the information about the situation that is accurate um, to the degree that it is appropriate to research those things and to learn about those things and to try to get as much information as you should on that. Uh, this doesn't mean you'll be able to gather all of the facts about every decision or maybe even in some senses any decision you can't know all of the facts about. But gather the relevant facts so you know what the actual decision is that you are trying to make or you know what the issues are involved. Um, then obey biblical principles. Obey biblical principles or biblical instructions, biblical commands. There are black and white things involved. There are biblical commands and principles that we must follow in every decision and that we have to keep in mind. And no decision, no matter what we may claim to be wisdom or anything else, the Lord leading us or anything, none of those decisions are allowed to go outside the bounds of what the Bible requires us to do from a moral perspective. 
So we need to keep those things in mind as well. We need to obey biblical principles. And the more we know of the Bible, the more of those principles that we're going to remember and we're going to be able to keep in mind when we're making these decisions. So gather the facts, obey biblical principles, and then third, apply wisdom. Apply wisdom, meaning that you are doing the best you can to make the best decision uh, within what is allowed biblically within what God has prescribed for us and commanded for us to do or not to do. So you apply wisdom to try to make the best decision. Uh, And this may be the decision that is going to result in the most good for other people. This may result, this may be what you judge to be uh, most, uh, to give you the most opportunity to glorify God. Whatever that might be, you're applying wisdom in that situation. So gather the facts, obey biblical principles, and apply wisdom. If you want those in more detail broken down, there were a number of considerations, as I called them, in class three, where uh, we just were to consider a number of things, such as uh, your circumstances, the effects of the decision on other people, uh, the counsel of other people as you try to gain wisdom, uh, even your own heart, and how deceptive our hearts can be. So things like that are involved in actually applying wisdom to the situation. But for this morning, uh, I'm going to just sort of take for granted a little bit that we're operating on the basis of those principles that we've already covered in some detail. And we're going to move on from there just to talk about some of uh, these practical opportunities. So common decisions in the Christian life. And here are a few that I think you will not be surprised to see. The first of these would be going to college. Going to college. This is a decision that a lot of Christians make. They make the decision to go to college. They go, make the decision where to go to college. And then they also make the decision sometimes when to go to college. Um, and then whether or not to go is involved in this as well. So as we think through some of these things, the facts and the uh, principles and wisdom, just what are a few things, if you were making this decision or helping someone to make this decision, what are some of the facts that you would want to know about uh, attending school after high school? What are some of the facts that you would want to find out in that decision? Yeah, Stephen. Okay, so you'd want to know the prevalence of, like, to to be aware of the prevalence of uh, particular types of indoctrination that are anti-biblical and and secular and, yeah, coming in uh, a lot of those places. Yeah, yeah, so that would be one thing to know. Okay, what else would you want to know? Yes, Bridget. Okay, so yeah, what is, the, what, are the, what is the church situation in a place that you might consider going? Yep, you want to know those facts as well. Yeah, what else? What other facts? Even just on a more basic level. Yes. Okay. Is, yeah. 
Okay, yeah, have I actually thought through whether or not I should do this in the first place? Yeah, do I have to have this for what I'm going for? Um, maybe would this help what I'm going for? Uh, is this best because I don't know what I'm going for? You know, lot, lots of things like that. But do I need that for what I'm gaming for? Yes, Shannon. Yeah, exactly. How much does it cost? Okay, that is, that's a very simple fact, isn't it? How much does it cost to go there? How much does it cost for a semester? How much does it cost to live there if you're going to live there? Uh, what's involved with that? Uh, even something as simple as location, where is it located? I mean, we're talking basic level, like what are some of the facts about that? Where is it? How much does it cost? Uh, what degrees are available at this place? And what are the degree requirements? What are the admission requirements? What is, in, what is required of me in order to even go through this process? So those are, those are some of the facts. Uh, do I know anybody else that's, that has been there? Do I know anybody else that's going there? Do I know someone that lives in this place? Uh, what is the weather like here? How far away is it from home? You know, you can, all of these kinds of considerations, and a lot of these we just kind of take for granted, or we, we, we know them pretty easily. But at least making sure that we take those into account is going to be part of making a good decision about that. Um, okay, so biblical principle-wise, some of these have already been mentioned, but what are some of the principles that you want to, that the Lord requires of us, right and wrong, that would apply in deciding whether, when, and where to attend college? What are some of those principles, the black and white things yeah, Mark. Okay, putting yourself into an evil situation or bad situation. Um, yeah, and I want to think on that in kind of a, um, in particular when we get under the wisdom part of that. And what, to what degree is someone endorsing uh, or participating in evil by virtue of, of being there? And so that's going to be the question when it comes to uh, applying wisdom to do that. So uh, the, the basic fundamental principle is we are not to be involved in any kind of, we're not to commit evil. We're not to do anything that's evil. So we want to make sure that we're um, applying wisdom when we get to that part in making sure that we are not ourselves doing that and knowing what goes on in the particular place, uh, knowing the fact that evil is wrong and doing what's right is right. That's going to be part of, uh, part of making that decision. Yeah. What else? Jessica. Yeah, definitely. So the, the end goal of working well in a way that pleases the Lord, and we're told to work diligently. Uh, Proverbs talks about this all the time. This is an issue of right and wrong, diligent work. Um, e even for people that don't have a, uh, 
an actual, like a paying job. In Titus 2, young women are to be taught to be workers at home. So even if that's your, where you ultimately end up as a homemaker, even that, there's diligence and there's work that's involved in that. Um, at the same time, obviously, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 and other passages talk about the value of working with your hands and attending to, the, to your own business and taking care of business in that way. So yes, seeing, uh, seeing what you're going for there as at least in part, the means to the end of working properly is really important. Now, I think there are also additional things beyond that that college can perhaps be involved in, but certainly it's not less than that. It is not less than working hard in the right way. And so uh, making sure that you are uh, building that when you go. Yeah, what else? Yeah. What's that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So right motives, not just to get out and get some independence because you just don't like, you know, being told what to do. Um, Or maybe you are just in the pursuit of worldly glory and you just want to become the best at what you're doing because you you want people to recognize you and that's what you're after it for. Yeah. Okay, we're not to pursue those things. We're not to just pursue independence for the sake of independence. Uh, We are not to pursue uh, being lauded by other people. So that would be a couple of factors to watch out for on a moral perspective. Yeah, some, I think I saw another hand over here. Yeah, Heather. Yeah, yeah. So counting the cost, whether you can afford it, if you take on debt, how's that going to affect you later on? And then also how much does something impact you? Yeah, and I think both of those are going to fall probably in my judgment a little bit under the wisdom side of things most of all, but they do have some moral tentacles to them for sure. Uh, Yes, Sarah. Yeah, yeah, and that just comes really right out of Hebrews 10, which says that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but we are to think about how to encourage one another. Church attendance is implicitly commanded by Hebrews chapter 10, and no, uh, no you know, standard American or Western or worldly path gets to override that. So the church is the non-negotiable, and I would even go so far as to say that a church that actually is somewhat faithful in the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of the Bible, and I say somewhat sort of just to avoid uh, saying that it has to get every single thing right, period, without question at all times to fit the standard. But the point is, a a solid church is going to be necessary. So uh, I once heard someone recommend something to the effect of finding, if you're going to go away somewhere to college, for example, find the best six churches that you know about, and then look at all the colleges that are close by to those, as opposed to doing it the other direction. And I'm not just adopting that and saying that's the exact way to go, but there's a lot of wisdom there where you're saying, I want college to be a time when I thrive in the church, and I can get an education a lot of places, 
but I'm not sure that I can just find a church anywhere in the world that I go that's going to be able to strengthen and encourage my soul and give me the opportunity to grow in how I serve other people. So yes, uh, the, the place of the church, uh, the place of the church is huge. Um, <clears throat> no, yeah. Yeah, like a great parachurch, but... Yeah, I would not go to a place that... Personally, if it were me making the decision now, again, this, this is me saying this 20 years after college or whatever, but um, I, I would not recommend going to a place where they have really great chapel services and great campus ministries, but not a great church. I don't think that the, that's a... Yeah, those are two different things. Now, I would I would say that a that a great campus ministry or bunch of chapels can be a great complement to a church and might be a really helpful factor in considering, you know, that where you're, you are reinforcing what you're getting in the church throughout the week on campus. And in addition to that, you have some opportunities when you are in school, um, especially if you're not working or you're not working a lot, you have time that, and opportunities that are unique during college that you might not have as far as uh, evangelism and really doing a lot of intensive time in discipling and, and getting together, whether it's um, additional Bible studies or you know, other meetings and things like that, that can really they can really help you a lot if they're solid. So, they're, you know, you, you guys know how hard it is when, you, um, you know, when you're not in school, when you have uh, more people in your family and things like that. You know how hard it is to make time for some of those things. And I just see college as uh, a unique opportunity for some of that if it's properly supported. So I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that those things don't matter and, uh, at all although they're not necessary, but I would say they are a good opportunity only if you have the, the proper support base in a sound church. Yeah. yeah, I don't think you want to go somewhere for four years or however long it is and just train yourself to not need the way that God has ordained in his wisdom the local church to function. Just don't think that that's a wise precedent and standard to set for your life. So that's part of the wisdom issue as well, but yes. The church itself, going there, being part of it is, is the non-negotiable. Um, how you decide what that's going to look like and exactly where that fits, okay, there may be a little bit of wisdom involved there. Um, maybe a few things as far as the wisdom in, in addition to what's already been talked about. Um, just return on investment. That's kind of what Heather was talking about, I think, a little bit. Um, maybe not the whole thing, but uh, return on investment. And you may not be able to know right up front whether or not it's worth the return on, or whether it's worth the investment, but you can at least try to do this. So is it worth spending uh, $150,000 if you don't intend to go into a field where you're going to make money and be able to pay that back? Uh, do you expect to get married out of college and be a homemaker? Well, you might not want to go into a large amount of debt uh, that then is placed upon you and you are only going to have one income and you're expecting somebody else to pay that. 
you might not want to just go based upon uh, just throw a bunch of money at things and go into a lot of debt to just go have a good time if the money is not going to come back to you. And you may not even want to go and borrow any money at all. Um, all of those are things that you're going to need to consider. But is it actually going to give you the return on investment or is it going to uh, end up being a very, very poor financial decision? Um, so yeah, you want to just think about that, worth the return on investment. What are some other wisdom factors involved in making a decision like this? How about knowing your own self, your relationship to your family, uh, how well you do away from home versus how well you do when you're near home? Um, that might be something to consider. Do you like the weather in certain places? Do you get depressed when it's dark and cold? Um, or do you just hate when it's really, really hot and sunny all the time? Those are some things to think about. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of time, especially if you're going to a place where there's a, where, where it's a small school and there's vibrant campus life. And, you know, considering those things that they're going to be, you're going to spend a lot of time with a lot of particular people. Um, and that's going to have a very, very strong influence upon you. So, yeah, what is taught at the school, who you're around at the school, these are going to be something that um, will attempt to exert a strong influence on you, um, whether they are consciously doing that or not. So you're going to want to consider that uh, as far as what is actually being taught there. Um, can you stand up to what is being taught at an institution that is very secularized? Can you handle those things and be okay with it? Do you have the confidence to be able to actually um, hold your convictions and speak up in class if you're told to do so? And are you able to write something in good conscience that may hurt your grade if a teacher disagrees with it? Uh, are you willing to take those hits? Also, at the same time, if you're going to a Christian school, are you going to be um, implicitly sort of brought into uh, a view of Christianity that is sub-biblical? You know, just because a school is Christian doesn't mean at all that you're going to be brought toward the truth by virtue of being at that school. So is there a version of Christianity going on there that you actually probably shouldn't be uh, following after? And are you going to be able to see through that? Are you discerning enough to take the good and to spit out the bad? You're going to need to be able to do that as well. Wherever you go, there's going to need to be discernment anywhere that you go. Even the most sound doctrinal school that you could go to as a Christian, you're going to have to be careful and you're going to have to be discerning. So this is, and that's not just true from what's taught in class, but it's also true within the student body. As those of you who have been to Christian schools well know that even if you have everything coming from the teacher that is biblical, basically, uh, that doesn't mean that everybody there believes it. And it doesn't mean that everybody at a Christian school is a Christian. And it's very easy for, as 1 Corinthians 5 talks about, a little bit of leaven to start to leaven the lump and have that kind of godly, ungodly influence upon others. So, yeah, just a few factors there. 
Um, okay, let's, uh, let's move on to the next unless we have any urgent uh, other comments on college. Yes. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I, uh, and I, I hope that it has not been coming across as just a, uh, a, you shouldn't do this, don't do this, this is bad. Uh, but I think perhaps we have skewed a little bit more toward just knowing the dangers as opposed to thinking about the benefits. So yeah, so, yeah, so thank you for mentioning that. There, there are a lot of very good things that can come from doing this. And yes, uh, whether job qualification, skills acquirement, knowing different people, uh, yes, intersecting with people you otherwise wouldn't get to, to intersect with. Yeah, tons and tons of benefits. So, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Thank you. All right, let's move on. Uh, moving. How about moving and or acquiring a home? Moving and or acquiring a home. A few facts to consider. Uh, what are the possible options for a home? Do we have to buy a house? Do we have to buy anything? Do we have to even, uh, do we have to rent somewhere? Can we stay with someone? Just put all your options on the table. Um, what are the numbers? A few things, uh, yeah, just numbers wise. What's the price? What's the size? What's the acreage? What are the bedrooms, bathrooms? When was it built? Um, what needs to be repaired soon? When were the last major appliances replaced? Um, when was the roof last put on? You know, those kinds of things. Uh, what kind of location is this? Is it a neighborhood? Is it a standalone place? Is it a farm? Is it a, a condo? Is it an apartment complex? You know, all of those kinds of things. You guys know these kinds of things. And then, of course, what is the price? What is the likely uh, ending price? What do you think you actually can get this for? Um, those are some of the facts that might be involved, and there may be others. What are some of the biblical principles that you want to consider? And I mean not just principles of wisdom, but what are some of the moral commands that may in some way or another be connected to this purchase that might not be directly uh, forbidding or, or requiring that you purchase a particular place, but what moral right and wrong things are connected with such a thing? What are some of the moral precepts and principles that the Bible speaks about? Yes, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, so don't, right, Matthew 6, don't store up treasure on earth, store it up in heaven. And yeah, that's going to look maybe different in different people's lives as far as exactly, as you said, the wisdom. But uh, it is a recognition that this home, I mean, you guys maybe heard the trend of uh, the uh, forever home. Have you heard that phrase? You know, the forever home? Okay, anyway, I think it's, I think it's kind of big in these... Uh, home uh, renovation or purchase um, sort of TV shows or whatever. And basically, yeah, we're going to find the forever home. It's not the starter home. It's the forever home. Well, I mean, Hebrews 13 is pretty clear. Here we have no lasting city. We, we don't have a forever home in this world. And I understand what people mean by that, but it is important to keep it in perspective. Um, we can build a home that we live in for the rest of our lives for decades and decades, but our forever home is in heaven. So we need to just keep that in mind as well. Um, yeah, what else? Principles, moral principles that apply to this decision. Yes, Heather? Yes. Yeah, hospitality, showing hospitality. And uh, yeah, that is, it's, it is a forgotten principle um, very often, but thinking about that should be on our minds at least, right? Just at least thinking about how can I use this or how would I use this to demonstrate hospitality. And uh, it may be that you have, all you can afford is a room somewhere. You go, I don't know how this is going to be hospitable. And yet even in that, you can be hospitable with any amount of, of stuff or any size of space that you have. It may not look the same as you might dream, you know, having a, a 200 people over in your home and having an amazing party and those things, but that's not really hospitality. Um, hospitality is the attitude and the willingness to make what is yours uh, belong to other people. But that is going to come into play, you know, when you buy this, is this going to be where I cannot show hospitality here because I, uh, I, I love this thing too much, you know, this is too nice. Um, I'm afraid of, of, of this being uh, broken, you know, and, uh, you know, there's a place for that, but just making sure that this factor is in your mind, and that may play out in a number of different ways. Okay, what else? Other right and wrong principles that apply to this decision? Yeah, Brian? Yeah, so, yeah, and that's going to spill over into wisdom as to how that goes, but uh, seeing yourself as a steward, right, and that all we have is from God, it's to be used for him, and uh, so, yes, not overextending yourself that, in a way that prevents you from doing other things that are, that are to honor the Lord with, uh, with what you have, yeah, yeah, anything else? Obviously, watching out for greed, uh, and instead, uh, practicing contentment. Um, contentment does not mean that you never attempt to change your circumstances. It never means that you, it doesn't mean that you never try to improve your circumstances. It means that you would be okay if you were unable to do so. It means that you'd be able to handle that if you can't improve your circumstances. So don't get in the attitude of, well, I have to make this change because I just really, really, really want it. I really want it. I mean, I don't know how I'm going to handle it if I don't. Uh, 
Paul says he's learned to be content in whatever situation he is, whatever circumstances he's in, Philippians 4. And he said he knew how to get along with humble means and he knew how to abound. And he was in prison. He was getting along with basically nothing for a while. And he was okay with that. And we ought to be the same, where we don't need things in that sense to be content. Okay? Um, A few principles that you may want to consider. Uh, Will it fit your family's needs for a dwelling place and so on? The kind of the obvious things. Does it have enough space? Do you need a home office? Stuff like that. Um, How far away is it from things that matter to you? Uh, How far away is it from your job and how will that affect your ability to be there for your family or for other people if you have a very long commute? Uh, How far away is it from the church and how will that affect your ability to, um, you know, to to, uh, get together with people and so on? Um, How far away is it from maybe your extended family if that is something that you need to be there for them or they you need their help or you want to continue to um, to strengthen those relationships? Uh, How long do you intend to live in this home? Is this going to be something you're in for a while? Or are you maybe just going to be there short term? And then financially, what would be the best decision as far as renting versus owning? Um, Something like that. Um, Is this going to need work? Do you have the time to do this? Do you have the knowledge to do this? Do you have the desire to deal with things that are going to need to be repaired? How is your attitude going to be through that? Are you going to be able to handle that well? Um, What are the alternatives to this if I don't do this? What's the neighborhood like and what are the opportunities there? And am I going to be able to serve my neighbors and to care for them and to strengthen relationships with them and to uh, to try to bring the gospel to them? These are some of the things that you should consider when you're you're considering uh, whether to move and whether to acquire a home. All right, any other thoughts on that? I know there's more. Hopefully that gets you your mind jogging, but those are just a few things to think about. All right, what about pursuing marriage? Pursuing marriage. Let's think about some commands concerning marriage in the Bible. What are some of the commands? What are some of the precepts, the requirements? Jessica. Okay, yeah, so to be held in honor above all, Hebrews 13, 4, to have proper perspective on that. Yes, what else? Bridget. Okay, believers should marry believers. 1 Corinthians 7 talks about this, that uh, if a, uh, it's talking about in the circumstances of a, a widow, uh, but it says she's free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord, only in the Lord. So there is this requirement that Scripture does place upon Christians that they ought to marry other Christians. So that is a, that is a, um, a binding requirement there. Okay, what else? Yeah, Andrew. Yeah, so there is freedom. There's not a requirement to marry, right? There's not a requirement to get married. There is freedom to do this. Paul had his preference and what he thought was best from the perspective of his own self and what his own decision was. He had a very sanctified opinion, but it was still, as he says, his own opinion. 
so there are a lot of things that commend one or the other, but uh, you're not required to get married. Yeah, not required. Okay, right. Yeah, so, so ministry is still a thing, even if you're trying to pursue marriage. I mean, you... Yeah, yeah, 1 Corinthians 7 does talk about one of Paul's arguments why he commends uh, being single is because there is a certain degree of uh, time and attention freedom that comes with that um and uh first corinthians 7 32 and 33 uh so there is a benefit of while you are single even if you do get married at some point that you have some opportunities that you might not otherwise have so yeah not obsessing exclusively about this um okay what else principle wise yeah tracy Yeah, so there are things, okay, so not just being a Christian. So this is where there's going to be some sub, uh, within the, deci- the wisdom decision about is this, should I get married and should I get married to this person? There's going to be some biblical principles that play into that decision. So, um, for example, uh, Christians are supposed to relate how to Scripture, you're supposed to obey it, to think about it, to, to want to know what it says. How are Christians supposed to relate to the church? They're supposed to be involved in it and participate in it. Um, is such a person uh, that, you know, is a person you're considering being in a relationship with, pursuing marriage, do they have those convictions? Um, scripture tells us we're supposed to be humble and correctable. We were just reading Proverbs, what was it the other day? I think um, maybe Proverbs 9. And there's a contrast between the way that uh, the way that wise people and uh, scoffers relate to being corrected. Uh, he who, Proverbs 9, 7 through 9, he who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself and he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Don't reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. This is the response from a fool. That's the way that they respond to being shown their error. Um, reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he'll be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in his learning. So there's a big distinction between someone who's very foolish and proud and unteachable and then someone who is correctable and wise and, uh, and humble. 
And that's going to have a major, major impact upon your marriage relationship, especially if you have problems you have to work out, which at some point uh, everyone does. Do they serve other people? Um, what, are, what are the biblical priorities for a husband? What should a husband be doing? Loving his wife as Christ loves the church, so he needs to be someone who is willing to love and to love sacrificially. That's a biblical instruction. You should see some track record of that. What else? Yeah, nourish and cherish your wife. How does he treat people? And is he someone who cares for other people or just cares for himself? What about a husband's provision for his family? Supposed to do that? First Timothy 5 says if you don't do that, you're worse than an unbeliever. So someone needs to be willing to work. Now, this might not be the place in life where they are working because they're trying to devote themselves full-time to school. Somebody else is, you know, sort of taking care of that, especially at a younger age. Um, are they, but do they show they're willing to do this? Are they willing to work? Are they willing to do this? And do they, are they on a path, as Tracy mentioned, to be able to actually get to the point where they can provide? Is that there? That really needs to be there. Uh, on the other side of things, what is a young woman supposed to do? Well, I mean, the priorities are very clear in Titus 2, for example, uh, that a young woman is to be instructed to love their husbands, love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So do they uh, have the priority that they want to love their husbands and their children? Uh, is their labor focused around the home regardless of what else they may get into? Um, are they a worker at home and are these the things, you know, if something else has to give way, is it that that stays as the core? Loving their family, being a worker at home. Are they sensible and are they pure? Are they kind? Like these are moral instructions and these are describe the character that you need to, to be looking for and that you need to be. So these are things that are moral issues and then you're just making the judgment call of like how much does this person actually fit this criteria? So yes, uh, those are some of the commands. I think, I wish I could say it goes without saying, but um, men must marry only women and women must marry only men. That is a biblical instruction. We are to stay away from 1 Thessalonians 4.3 from sexual immorality. Hebrews 13.4 talks about that as well, as well as many other passages in the Bible, which means that you are, when you are considering pursuing marriage or when you are pursuing marriage, you are to stay away from fornication, from immorality, which means you're to pursue that with all purity. And that if you're not married, you're not married. And if you're not married, to get involved with people in ways that are as if you are married is to commit immorality. So you need to, uh, you need to recognize that command as well. Um, any other things, wisdom issues when it comes to pursuing marriage? Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, physical attraction, uh, just being, yes, being drawn to people and not even just on that front. I mean, the so, yeah, Song of Solomon is there for a reason, okay? And there is, uh, there is wisdom involved, I would say, as well in actually liking the person that you choose to marry. <laughs> and like, not, not just, I mean, I know that sounds crazy to have to say that, but uh, you, any two Christians can, can get married and make it work and make it work very well and cultivate a love for one another but there is wisdom in going in on terms where you already really like this person, you know, and where you are really, you want to spend time with them. You enjoy being with them. Like that's going to, that there's wisdom there. So there's, there's no problem with doing that. Again, that, that doesn't mean that when you get married, you can say, well, I'm not attracted to this person anymore, or I don't like this person anymore. Well, there's a problem there that you need to address. But yeah, they're, uh, wanting to be with somebody is, this is a great, uh, a great if insufficient foundation for a marriage relationship. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Okay, any other things? Yes, Bridget. <laughs> they were little this morning, I think, actually. Yeah, it wasn't even yesterday. It was this morning. Yeah. Yes, so being able to be, uh, yeah, be discerning and careful and thoughtful in those things and not just carried away purely by emotion and, yeah, thinking about the influence that they have. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot there, a uh, whole lot there. You also want to consider, I mean, the when of marriage. We, we don't just get to go out and say, well, I'm going to get married when I'm 19 years old or 25 years old and I'm just going to make it happen. I mean, I suppose if we were really determined for that to be when, we could find somebody who is willing to make that happen, but it wouldn't necessarily be wise in the other factors. With that said, there are, there is, um, you know, you really do want to think about, okay, if I want to be married, if I want to have a family and if I want to have children, and then I just also at the same time want to go live my life in my 20s and hang out with my friends and travel the world and do all the things that really the world around us tells you is the way to spend that time. Well, there are going to be trade-offs for that. There are going to be trade-offs for that. So you really want to think about what, what, do I, uh, what will I wish that I had done? And I think that the pull for regret is what the world may have us, uh, may speak loudly into our lives about, but... You need to exercise wisdom in these things and be preparing for what you want uh, to actually happen. Uh, in addition to this, obviously, then beyond the principles of um, what you should be in your character, just making yourself marriageable and thinking about that if you're a young person, um, putting yourself in a position where you're the kind of person that someone else would and should want to, uh, want to marry. 
uh, dating, the pursuit of marriage, dating, courtship, whatever you might want to call it anywhere in between those two things or outside those two things. Um, obviously, understanding the Bible does not prescribe those things, but it does prescribe marriage uh, as the way that two people should come together. Um, should this be the path that you take? And in light of that, you need to recognize that those pursuits as the means to that end, that if you are uh, if you are getting involved with people romantically, then you really need to consider the effect that that's going to have on your marriage. And you need to consider that this ought to be driving toward that. Even if going out on a date with someone isn't a commitment to marriage, which is probably another, another discussion that we should have. But even if that, it doesn't mean you're going to marry that person that day or that this is a, you know, a promise to do that, you still need to do it with the view that my goal in all of these type of relationships in terms of if I am pursuing a romantic relationship with someone the ultimate end goal of that is marriage and everything else needs to be uh, that needs to be kept in mind that helps you navigate along the way there okay um, I have here selecting a church home as well uh, we could talk through that I did want to see if there's anything else that we want to consider as far as common decisions that you think that we need to uh, considered from the, for the Christian life because we can go through church home but um, anything else that is like you know this is a thing that we struggle with or a lot of people have to think about what are some of the the principles involved so anything that's on your mind about that just for the last few minutes yeah Brandon okay yeah so prices of the vehicles you said just like buying a vehicle okay Okay, on that, you just buy as many as you can, and you just put them out in your driveway and just uh, you know, buy, the most ex- buy the most expensive car you can so that everybody knows you know, how much money you have. And Yeah, that's a great question. So that, I mean, uh, some of the principles already spoken of are involved in this. Um, you know, Brian mentioned not overextending yourself, so things like that. Okay, do you actually have the money to afford this? That's in so many of these cases. Can you actually do this um, if you choose to borrow money, that would still be a factor as well, uh, whether you're going to do that or not. Uh, you know, I think even things we can, and this is, this is not just a distinctly Christian thing, but, you know, probably considering something like total cost of ownership um, would be a good facts to understand, you know, how much is this going to cost me over the life of the vehicle, including the sale price that I can get at the end of this, and how much, you know, how much did I put into this for how much use did I get out of it? Um, you can consider other factors. I mean, you, don't, you can consider how, how comfortable it is, how much you enjoy driving it. Um, does, this, you know, does this help me get warmed up in the wintertime, or am I literally just getting from place to place? There are a whole lot of things in there, and it's really hard to boil that down to an exact science to, to have something like that. So biblical principles that you might want to consider, am I trying to buy this car to show off to other people? You know, again, the, the glory that we seek from men, so watching out for that. Um, some maybe safety ratings could be something that you would think about in terms of how you care for other people in, in your family. If you can have a car that's safer than others, then this could be a good thing, you know, if it's in an accident. Um, and uh, so that would be something. Um, I don't know, it's nice to have a radio so you can listen to things that are edifying, you know, that's nice to have. Uh, any other things that you might think of, biblical principles that would be involved? Yeah, Hannah. Yeah, what does your spouse think? Uh, we may even go so far as to say, what, what does your spouse want? And is this car for them? And do they like driving it? And can you give them something that they like? Yeah, yeah. Can you fit your family in it? Yeah, 
yeah. I mean, I know that sounds silly, but it is a factor, isn't it? Yeah, can you, can you fit your family in it? Yeah. What's that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is going to be the case with a lot of the enjoyment factor is going to be the case with a lot of things, a lot of decisions that we make. Um, uh, and I, I can't recall if it's in this class or not that we've talked about First Timothy 6, but he says, uh, verse 17, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Uh, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves a treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So ultimately, money or possessions are not life indeed. They are not where we're headed. Uh, they are not what we ultimately will treasure. Um, he also, it's interesting though, at the same time, he doesn't say we're supposed to literally give away everything that we have. Um, he says God gives us all things richly to enjoy, which means that if we have something that is enjoyable, that we have it from him. Um, he does say, do good, be rich, not primarily in your money, but to be rich instead in good works and make that your focus, and then to be generous and ready to share. So what's ours is um, we should be eager to help other people, in particular help other people in need. With that said, there is still the permissibility of enjoying things and that is something that uh, is important, not that we just go around trying to get the most out of our lives and try to squeeze every bit of enjoyment that we can, but it is okay to enjoy things. It is okay, all other things equal, to say, look, I'm going to pick the thing that I like, you know, and I'm going to get something that I enjoy. It's okay to sometimes buy a steak instead of buying, you know, whatever the cheapest cut of meat that you can get is. It is okay to do that. But you need to consider all that, uh, all that God says on the subject of money and of sharing uh, of where our hope is. So just layer all that into kind of a, a grid, and this is one out of the many factors to consider. And it is permissible, and it is okay to, uh, to enjoy things and to buy things just because you like them. Um, there's an article that uh, Tim Challies wrote a few years ago, maybe worth checking out. Um, when is the last time you actually enjoyed your money? Something like that. And I, I think it has some good perspective on this that is bounded by the biblical uh, warnings against greed and against earthly mindedness and those kinds of things. So it might be worth checking out. Um, okay, so just uh, since we're out of time, the after your decision, uh, just if you want to fill in these blanks, and I can give you a very brief um, comment on them. Trust God with the outcome and results. Trust God with the outcome and results. A lot of times this is why we don't want to make decisions and we want a word from God because we want to know what the outcome is going to be before we make the decision. Instead, he wants us to walk by faith, doing what we know he says for us to do that's required biblically to make the wisest decision we can and to trust the way that he uses our decision in his sovereignty to bring about results in our lives, whether they're the things we want directly or not. So trust God with the outcome and results. Um, secondly, grow in wisdom from your decision. Grow in wisdom from your decision. Don't say, well, I did the best I could, and then go on living life as if there's nothing that you can 
you know, do differently next time. Learn. If you feel like there's information that you learn after the fact that you would have considered, then grow in that and accumulate that. And next time you could make a better decision or you could help someone else to make a better decision if you give them counsel in the future. So don't just say, well, it's in the past. It doesn't matter. I don't want to think about that. It's painful. Instead, grow in wisdom from your decision. And then, uh, thirdly, where permitted, meaning biblically or otherwise, where permitted, adjust your path forward. Just because you made one decision doesn't mean that you can't change that decision if it is appropriate and allowed. In some cases, that's going to be harder to do. But in other cases, you say, you know, I made a bad decision. It's not wrong because I haven't promised anybody anything. I just decided this. But, you know, actually... I just need to pivot and go some other direction. And um, it may cost me something, but in the long run, it's actually going to be better off to go ahead and change now that I've seen the outcome of this. That's okay. You can do that. Now, obviously, in certain cases, like if you marry somebody, that's not permitted. You can't say, well, you know, I wish I hadn't done that. Uh, We've been married a week now. What a problem this has become. Well, you are committed for life. Uh, But something else like buying a car may be a little bit easier to get out of even if it costs you something. So just uh, where permitted, you can adjust your path forward. And don't think that just because you really spent a lot of time praying about something or getting a lot of counsel, it doesn't mean that you can't go back and change that decision later. You just need to do so with appropriate wisdom, with caution. Um, Don't be fickle. Make sure that you are following biblical principles still and not uh, discontent in your circumstances. All right, well, there's more we can talk about, but uh, hopefully this is helpful just to get these kind of ideas in our heads, and I, uh, I hope that you will consider just all the time when you're making decisions, big or small, what does the Bible say about these things? How can I apply wisdom? How can I grow in wisdom as I go? And how can I honor the Lord in all my decisions? So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this class. Thank you for our, our time in considering these things. I pray that you'd help us to make very wise decisions to grow in them. I pray that you would help us to have heart, uh, hearts that are aligned fully with your word and everything to do with this. And we pray that we would, we would know what that looks like and that we would help each other in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.